in today's podcast, we take a look at wisdom and faith. What does James mean when he says, If any one of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God. What does he mean by the word wisdom? Where does it come from, and where can it be found? And if we ask God for it, how does he bestow it to us? James also says that we should ask in faith. What does this mean? If we simply believe hard enough, will that suffice? The bottom line, wisdom is already embedded in Scripture, and if we are to have faith, we have to take a step on the way. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Father Dustin Lyon. As you may recall from last week's episode, I've decided to do a more traditional Bible study with this podcast. That is, going through Scripture verse by verse with commentary, so that we can see things in context and get a broader sense of what an author is arguing. Now, for those familiar with the Ephesus School podcast, you're already familiar with this format. After all, the Bible's Literature podcast uses this format, and they've done it for several different books. Currently, they're going through the book or the Gospel of Matthew. So I've decided to go through the letter of St. James, or Jacobus, or Jacob, however you want to translate that into English. And I've decided to do that because I think James, more than any other book in Scripture embodies what this podcast is about. As you know, this podcast is called The Way, which could also be translated as The Road. And what it implies is action, putting your faith into action. After all, a road, The Way, is useless if you don't get out and walk on its path. So in other words, this podcast emphasizes the rubber meeting the road, putting your faith into action. And that's precisely what James advocates. He advocates putting your faith into action. And I know this makes a lot of Christians uncomfortable. And for that reason, I don't think the book of James gets the attention that it deserves. And so I've decided to highlight that book by going through it now with you all. So last week we got through the first four verses. We didn't get very far, but there was a lot there to unpack. You may recall that we talked about trials and testing. And James said in those first few verses, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So the idea is that the trials, the suffering, the tests that we have in this life should help us to grow. And I use the image of a seed pushing against the dirt to grow, providing some resistance. And in fact, anything that changes in life often won't change without some pushing, without some resistance 
but it's usually worth it. It's usually worth it. Um, just like a child trying to learn to walk, that child has to fall a few times before it can eventually get the grasp of how to walk forward. You can think of that falling as a sort of trial that makes us stronger. And so James is advocating to embrace that sort of suffering and let it be transformative for us in a good way. And I think perhaps a book I want to recommend to all of you is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Now, this book may be familiar to some of my listeners. In fact, it's a very popular book. I know it's probably one of the most read books in the world today. But Viktor Frankl was a Jew who suffered through the Holocaust during World War II. And he was also, I can't remember if he's a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but one of those people who's interested in the mind. And he was interested in the question of why did some people die in the, in the camps and others survive, especially if both of them were relatively healthy. They had the same sort of health, they're about the same age, that there was no reason that one should survive and one should die. Now, of course, this is barring some horrible, tragic event, such as, you know, the gas chamber or being shot. But simply when enduring the harsh conditions, lack of food and the cold and those sorts of things, why did some people live and others die? He eventually concluded that it had to do with a person's mindset, that those who were able to find hope and were able to visualize a future beyond the camps, they're the ones that often survived. But those who lacked hope, those who gave up, eventually died. And I think that's very interesting. In other words, if we're using James's language here, it is those who saw this trial as a way of making themselves stronger, that gave them determination to survive, that gave them hope to move beyond the horror that they were experiencing. That's what James is talking about here. So, if you get the chance, Viktor Frankl, F-R-A-N-K-L, and his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Go ahead, pick it up. I don't think you'll be disappointed. In fact, I think you'll be uh, happy that you read that book. So that's what we talked about last week. So this week, we're picking up with verse 5, which says, If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. The first thing that pops into my mind and perhaps it was the first thing to pop into your mind, is a promise that God gives to his followers in Matthew 7. This is verse 7. Ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And some people misconstrue this verse and verses like this one here in James. And they read these sort of promises, and they think that what God or Christ is saying is that we can ask for anything. We can ask for blessings in the material form. And in fact, this is an entire branch of Christianity. It's called the prosperity gospel. And they believe that if you do have the great job, the fancy house, the nice car, the good salary, all of those sorts of material things, then it must be a sign that God is blessing you in this life. But I'm here to tell you that's complete heresy. 
That's complete heresy. That's not what Scripture is promising. It is not promising material goods as a result of God's blessing. And in fact, quite the opposite, right? Christ tells us to pick up our cross. Here James was talking about enduring suffering so that it can produce maturity. And in fact, the saints of the church over and over and over again show us that suffering is a part of our salvation. And in fact, the early saints are the martyrs, those who willingly died for the faith. And of course, the Bible tells us that we should love our neighbor, which means we can't be like the man storing up our wealth in barns. And in fact, quite the opposite. We should use our wealth as a blessing for others so that they have clothes on their back, a roof over their head, food to eat. We should be helping our neighbor. So that's not the sort of blessing that God is talking about here. And that's not what James is talking about when he says, If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. In fact, here, James is talking about something very specific. He's saying, if any of you is lacking wisdom, not prosperity, wisdom. And wisdom in Scripture has a very interesting history. You know that the letters of Paul, especially in 1 Corinthians, he will contrast the Greek wisdom with the Hebrew law. And in fact, he kind of pokes fun at Greek wisdom, and he inverts it. And he says, I'm so wise, but look at me. I've had beatings and shipwrecks. Things have not gone so well for me. And so he, he, he reverses that. So what is James talking about when he's talking about wisdom? Well, I think the answer comes in the form of the big picture, looking at the entire Bible. And so for those who know the Old Testament, you'll know that there are wisdom books. Now, it depends which Old Testament you're looking at, how it's organized, how it's set up. As you know, the Tanakh, which is what the Old Testament is called in the Jewish tradition, is divided into three different parts. The Torah, which is the law, the prophets, and the writings. In fact, the word Tanakh is the Hebrew acronym, if you will, for those three parts. But Christians have divided the Old Testament in different ways. And I'm looking here particularly at the Jerusalem Bible, and it divides it into the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of Moses. Then it says the historical books, and it also has the prophets, but it also includes what's called the wisdom books. And this includes Job, the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Songs, the Book of Wisdom, and Ecclesiasticus. Now, not all of those books will appear in the Protestant Bible. But I think the point is, is that some of those books, especially the book of Proverbs, is trying to present the law, the Semitic, you know, Jewish law, to the Greeks in a form that they would understand. And so Proverbs, if you've ever read it, is a lot like Aesop's fables. It's a series of wisdom sayings. And I think the point is, is that it's trying to present the law in a different format. So it's the same message, just a different medium, if you will. And I think that's what James is talking about. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God. And he's not referring to worldly wisdom. 
and he's not talking about Greek philosophy, you know, Socrates, Plato, uh, Aristotle, that sort of wisdom. He's talking about the sort of wisdom that's found in the Old Testament, which is none other than the law itself. And in the law, we find where it says to love God and love neighbor. That's the summary of it, as Jesus taught. And so he's saying, if you lack in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously. And God has given us wisdom, is provided in Scripture. He gives us wisdom so that we can be right with God, or to put it maybe in a modern way, we can have a right relationship with God, but we can also have a right relationship with our brothers and sisters. Not just our brothers and sisters in Christ, but with our brothers and sisters of humanity, because the law provides guidelines for how to live in peace with those around us, even if they have a different culture than us, or they worship a different god, or they have a different sort of lifestyle. We are still to treat them with respect because they are our neighbor. We share the same land as them. And by following God's wisdom, the law, we can have peace. That's what that's about. So ask God, which is another way of saying, search scripture, read it, get to know it. And in fact, the original word meditation did not mean some sort of mental exercise with breathing or clearing the mind. What meditation originally meant was reciting scripture over and over and over again so that you can have it memorized. And when it's memorized, the idea is that it becomes second nature, that you can start to act upon it. And there we are. The rubber meets the road. We're walking the way by meditating on Scripture in its original sense, reciting so that we understand it. And this is how we can ask God, and this is how wisdom is imparted to us from God. The New Testament represents the law in a third way. So we have the law presented in the first part of the Old Testament as law, and then we see it represented as wisdom. And then finally, in the New Testament, we see it presented as instruction from the Son of God himself. And this is exactly what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's a summary of the law, if you will, now being presented on the mouth of Jesus. So let's continue. This is starting with verse 6. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And there's that word again, but ask in faith. And faith, as I've said before, here I'm meditating on it, I'm drilling it into you, right? This is where the word boring comes from. If you think about a woodworker, they bore into the wood, that means they drill down into it. Um, and I think you can bore uh, searching for oil, or in geology as well. But that's where the word boring comes from, is that it is drilled into you over and over again until you get it. And so um, I'm not going to be apologetic about boring you by mentioning faith here does not mean mental belief or a creed or that sort of thing. But ask in faith, meaning ask by stepping out on the ledge, by doing something, by putting what you believe into action. 
Just like in the last crusade, Indiana Jones at the very end came to this great gully and it looked like if he stepped out, he would have fallen all the way down to the bottom and died. And he had to step out in faith. He realized there was a hidden bridge to the other side. And this is what faith is. It's that trust. It's acting on it. It, it requires us to do something, to put your faith in action, in other words. And so here we have to ask in faith. In other words, now that we know Scripture, now that God has revealed His wisdom to us, we have to put those practices into action. And we may not want to do that. So in Philippians, Paul will tell us to have this sort of mind, the same sort of mind that is like Christ. And then he goes on to talk about how Christ emptied Himself all the way to death. If we think of God's law as telling us to love our neighbor in the same way that Jesus loved us, it can become scary. Because how did Jesus love us? He loved us by dying for us. That's the example that Christ set. And now if we read in the law that Christ is our example, and what we should do is follow that, that may mean harm to ourselves. It may mean that we become uncomfortable. It may mean martyrdom just like those early saints. We may not want to do that. We may not trust that this is the appropriate path, because we may not trust that things will be set right. After all, society around us says that we should stand up for ourselves. We should assert ourselves and put ourselves first. And so when we see God saying, no, 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 that's not the way, I'm giving you a different way, the way of the cross, we may not want to follow those instructions. But James here is saying, but ask in faith, never doubting. In other words, you have to trust God and you have to make those first steps. You have to live this way and trust that in the end, God will set all things right. That's the promise of the resurrection. That's the promise that God gives us. Even though it may seem contrary to what the world is saying, God says, this is true wisdom. This is the way we should be behaving. And then as he says, we shouldn't doubt this way. This is the way it should be. And he says, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So we have to be humble about it. We can't be assertive. And we shouldn't be haughty or proud. James here is slamming our ego. We should not be entitled and say, well, Lord, look, I'm doing this and this for you. You have to reward me. That also is not the way. As I said, the way is often contrary to the way the world thinks. But we have to have faith. We have to trust. So for regular listeners, you know that we talked about uh, Orthodox Christian leadership in earlier podcasts, and we talked about Zulos leadership, what it means to lead as a leader. And last week I mentioned, I think, Edwin Friedman and his book, The Failure of Nerve, and he talks about leadership in the modern world. One of the things he talks about, or one of the fallacies of leadership, is the idea that we need more data. He says there's a leadership vacuum because leaders are afraid to be decisive, to make decisions, and they use the excuse that they need more information and more data. And so they're always collecting more and more data. And of course, in today's world, you can't keep up. 
If you're a doctor, for example, you can't keep up with all the medical journals. You can't keep up with all the articles that are being published. There's just far too many these days. And so more data is not always good. But what he says is that good leaders are decisive. It's not that they don't have any data, but they find the good data and then they act on it. They are decisive. In other words, to put it in James' language, good leaders don't doubt. They make a decision and move forward. They have a spirit of adventure and curiosity that drives them. And once they're determined, they act on it. And Edwin Freeman says, this is what produces a good leader, among other things, he says. But this is one of the items that he talks about. And James, I think, is saying the same thing. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. The believer can't use the excuse, oh, I need more data. I need to know more about the law. I need to study every nook and cranny, every iota and tilde and all of those sorts of things. The believer has to act and move forward. They have to be decisive. They have to have faith. And I think that's what James is saying. So I think we'll end there and we'll pick up next week. As we saw, James is telling us that we should ask God for wisdom, search the scriptures for it and the law, and then we need to act on that. We need to be decisive and walk the way, even when it seems contrary to what we think we should be doing. All right, well, God bless you, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>